Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Mama Mama podcast, brought to you as always by the wonderful Golding Accountancy, wearegolding.com. How are you? I hope you are good. Um, <laughs> so, this week I was at the podcast convention and did the Pod Bible live podcast from there with Rich Wilson from Insane in the Membrane podcast. And Josh Miller and Alfie Brown from the Formula One podcast. I can't remember what bloody called now. I'll post links to everything. But Alfie was saying that he does, he started doing a podcast to stop him from saying um and things like that. (laughs) And it really made me laugh because that's like, it's the hardest thing to stop doing when you're presenting is stop making those noises. So yeah. That just reminded me of that. So, but it was really, really good. Um, it was a lot of fun. I met some really wonderful people. I met Josh Weller and Rich Wilson, who obviously have been previous guests of mine for the first time in real life. So that was lovely. And loads of other people that I've kind of been in contact with through the podcast that I've never met. So it was, it was a really good day. And there was loads of exciting things there if you went. I hope you had fun. This week on the podcast, is it's the first in three episodes um, um with the wonderful Henry Haight. Henry Haight is a tattooist that I met probably, it was pre-children, so I reckon it's got to be getting on for about 15 years now. And he's lovely, we became friends. And he's got a very interesting life story. He's an artist as well as a tattoo artist, and he's most probably most well-known for, he's the one that did the tattoo of the uh, lady on Amy Winehouse's arm, like kind of her iconic tattoo. And he was very close friends with her as well. So I wanted him, he actually approached me about coming on the podcast to talk about how mothers influence their children in terms of art. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And I, I had wanted him to come on anyway, but I was like, why don't you come on and talk about that as well as everything else? So, but he was here, I mean, he was here for five hours. We just had such a good catch up, but the podcast is three hours long essentially. So I've split it into three episodes. But this first episode is kind of about his childhood and how he first got started getting interested in art, but also about how his parents sent him for conversion therapy when he first came out. Um, so it's there's a lot in it, and I hope you enjoy it. If, you're, if you want to talk to me about anything we discuss, obviously, then please get in touch, and I will, of course, post links to Henry as well in the podcast um, um, <laughs> information but yeah enjoy and i'll see you in a bit 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Work. Work. Because I always thought that it would be um, a cool thing because right now tattooing is so saturated. Yeah. And I know when Nicole moved out, she's now in Clapton. Um, but a few shops around me have actually started to close. So that's, that's oh, like, really? Yeah. Because, you know, if, if food prices are going up, energy prices are going up as well. The living wage is staying the same. The cost of everything has gone up. People tend to cut back and, and virtually, you know... Yeah. Um, Saturday, I had a conversation with a guy, and he wanted two tattoos on his kneecaps. Like, you know... Yeah. So it's just that work, but he'll want... And I'm like, okay. And he's like, smiley faces. I'm like, okay, I'll do the, the pair for 140. Yeah. He's like, oh, the guy around the corner said I do it for 60 quid <laughs> in, his, in his basement. Yeah. And, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking to me for, though? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know a good price. Yeah. Then, but, you know, you're, you're speaking to someone who, who's wearing six pound jeans. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing against them, but it's just like, okay. Um... For me, there are certain things that you don't want to save money on. You don't want a cheap tattoo because you're not going to, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And that is on your body forever. <laughs> you know, it's not, there's some things that it's not about finding the cheapest thing. It's about finding the best thing. And Well, I, I lo- I've, I've, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money and my mom was the, the one who virtually bought us our clothes and, you know, and I remember she used to complain and I think, and I noticed it, I never noticed it when we were kids, but around the time I was about 13 or 14, when 
certain things like the Izod, the alligator, like, you know, um, I never liked polo, but uh, I wanted these type of shoes. And I remember, I think they were at the time like $100. And my mom was like, that's outrageous yeah. for shoes. And I, I still think that now that, you know, um, for certain shoes, but I think as a parent, I never looked at it from the aspect of, you know, and especially now kids with smartphones and, you know, social media. Oh God, you know, <laughs> yeah, but everyone wants, everyone wants to be liked, loved and, and be accepted. Yeah. And, and I think it's good that social media now have the thing where you can hide the likes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you can you can post something, and then when you go to the, the three dots, it's like if you want to hide the likes. So even you, for your own oh, psyche, okay. you yeah. don't need to know how many people like your photos. Yeah. Because that that whole um, dopamine effect, yes. like yeah, yeah, the, yeah. that seeking that validate, like oh, it's nice to just I stop looking at them. Yeah. Oh, because I hit it, edit, hide likes. Yeah. I'm done, and yeah. I just leave it alone. Yeah. You know. Um, and I can't imagine being a kid right now yeah. and, and wanting that veneer on life or that when my friends, I was, I think I was 22 and my friend Melissa bought her daughter a beeper and she was 12. I'm like, what she need a beeper for? She's not a pot dealer, <laughs> you know? And, I'm like, she's like, I know what she is. I'm like, well, if you don't know where your kid is, if you're having to wonder where your kid is, she's doing something that she shouldn't be doing. Yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, but now, kids grow up in a world to where they have access to everything. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's more alarming, but I think it also stunts their creativity to where they're focused on phones. Yeah. And, or, this device yeah. where they're enslaved to it and now companies have that information that the access of how to virtually prone certain things to what they're doing yeah. to the device directly yeah. to groom them in a sense which yeah. is really uh you know. so now I try I try to really actively turn it upside yeah. down um Unless I'm waiting, like, if I, I text someone to go, okay, do you want me to, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know, more than <laughs> scrolling, sharp, the swipey left or whatever, yeah. I, I want to see what's happening with that particular guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now I think I've, I've waned back a bit on, on social media posts. Yeah. And stuff. It's, I go and in it's, and out of it. I, I have to do it for the podcast, because that's the only way I really advertise. Um, but. But I that's your revenue, right? Well, not really. I don't really earn much money out of it, but... No, but... So I have... It helps. Yeah, but if you're not posting, then when you do post, it doesn't get seen as much. You have to be on there constantly, don't you, to get the... To get seen more, basically. Right. But I find it hard to not... To make myself post. And sometimes... I... I, I get a bit like I, I want to hide away from the world. When I'm not well, or I'm due on, I'm very much like I don't want to be seen... So I have no interest in going on social media, and I, I find it very hard to force myself to do that. But it's it's really hard because if I'm not on there, then when I do go back on there, it doesn't get seen as much as if I'm posting regularly. So it's 
it's a fuck and they change their algorithms all the time like some stuff I post it gets seen by loads of people and other, other times I'll post and it will get seen by hardly anyone you know and there's no I don't know how that works you know well that's what I'm learning right now with online marketing with my websites the art ones and, and the time because I'm trying to figure it out and then certain things I'll post that like this one does really well yeah and, and the other ones I think I think would do really well yes. and I'm like what really yeah like um, but I just like okay, you just have to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. But, but even even with trying to make art, you have to keep at it. Yeah. yeah. And I think with especially now with social media and these advertisements, like hey, learn how to draw like me. Yes, you know. You, it's it's great if you want to learn a hobby or an angle from that, but if you're really gonna try to sit there and learn, like, well, if this girl can do it, yeah, you know, then I can. The whole reaction is, if you go to art school and your genius student says only maybe three or four percent of you out of the whole graduate class will actually make a living doing art, yeah, it's it's up to the actual student to say, you know what. You got to keep at it. Yeah. And, and I figured I knew enough creative people who were crazy enough to dedicate their whole lives to like, why do you do what you do knowing that there's no guarantee? Yeah. Um, you know, there's no uh, regular paycheck. Yeah. Like, and I think the whole thing for me is if you take a leap of faith, life will cast you a nut. Yeah. And when I do get money from it, there's this... Yeah. But at the same time, I, I know I'm I'm following my heart, and but I have to keep it at it like a business. Yeah. To say, okay, keep going, keep more work. Would you go into teaching? Do you want teaching? Yeah. No, because I think I've, I've trained... Tattoo us, and that was hard enough. Yeah. And having a staff of like seven, and then trying to encourage them to just fucking work was <laughs> like pulling teeth. You know, I couldn't, you know, to get them to just mop or answer the fucking phone was, you know, a chore in itself. Yeah. And sometimes they'd all be standing there, and we'd be having a meeting, and, you know, and none of them would like go to the, and like, and I would say this comment, oh, I'll get it. I'm just the furthest from the phone, you know. Yeah, and yeah. they'd all sit there and be like, I'm like, come on, guys, fucking, yeah, work with me here. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I think of how my parents used to raise me, and I, I didn't ever want to go into that, like, turn, especially I didn't want to turn to my mother. But I said, you have two choices. I could ask you the diplomatic way, or I could ask you the Henry Hate way. Which way would you like? <laughs> and I like the diplomatic way. I'm like, okay, like, you know, because um, you don't want to lose your shit over it. And there's, yeah. there's, but trying to teach someone is in, in itself, and and encourage them to be fearless in a sense is is a hard thing because yeah. you have to get them out of their comfort zone without making yeah. them feel inadequate. Yeah. You know, and um, I've trained six people in 
28 years and five of them have done it yeah. I don't know if they're still doing it now um, and but now I've noticed the lifespan of a tattooist used to be you know 10 15 years now it's like down to six or eight years really yeah because now it's you know it's kind of like hairdressing shops there's there's so yeah. many in fucking Hackney that like yeah. I, when I saw how many red I'm like holy shit yeah you know that's a lot yeah and um and it's the the price margin has come down um and now I understand why there's like 15 artists in one studio because not all of them are always going to be busy but you need to have a stable of trickling yeah. money to come in from each of these sons of bitches to, to keep yeah. your shop above flow and you know I've been fortunate I've got you know the art side to help yeah. that but I still have to time management all that um, when I was little I think I was around 10 or 11, I heard the word Renaissance man. And my mom asked me, she, matter of fact, they asked me once, she's like, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a Renaissance man. And she's like, what is that? And, and I said, Renaissance man is a man who makes music, and paints, who you know, writes, does all this stuff. And you know, he, he creates. And she's like, you can't do everything. And I was so mad at her. <laughs> I swear to God. I mean, I didn't talk to her for a month. I was really <laughs> that upset. Yeah. One thing I learned about my parents, they can fuck all grudges. You know? <laughs> and I was just, because to me, that was like, oh no, let me just quash your dream. Yeah. I don't think she meant it in that way, but but I, that was the first time I was like, you can't say that to me. Yeah. You know, and, um, but again, looking back at it, that I think she would have said, you're gonna to have to focus on you can't you can't do everything at once, but yeah. you can do all of them. But you can only do them at you know. But she didn't say that. But that's how I heard it. You can't do everything. Did she support you in your creativity? She did, but it was when I started to get around fourteen, fifteen. Uh, I punk happened for me, and that's when I was like, <gasps> you know, the apple on my head dropped. I was yeah. like, oh my god. There are all these weirdos. They list like weird things, and I do too. And I felt like in high school, it was either the stoners, the punks, or the you know because like when you see American movies with it's segregation of like you know you've got the cats and they're Asian, Oriental, nerds and stuff. Um, yeah, I didn't hang out with those. I didn't hang out with the black students. I knew some of the black students. Um, Where did you go to school? I went to Saddleback in Orange County. Yeah. And, but it was, you know, everyone sat in these tribes and we hung out, I hung out with the Ventures, which were the punks and the Goss, yeah. and some metalheads, but we were kind of the weirdos yeah. and, and we stood, we hung, our lockers were by the boys and girls toilets so we could go in there and smoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and across, directly across with the quad, there was this tree planting, big plant where all the Asian kids, um, Oh, I think now it would be called like Silicon Valley. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And then across from that was the um, the student um, 
the student union office where they sold like library books and um, not library but uh, your yearbooks and stuff. Yeah. But that's where like some of the cheerleaders and the popular kids used to hang out. The jocks were on the opposite side. All the cooler kids never sat at, all the dorks ate at the lunch tables. Yeah. But my mom really encouraged our individuality. And when we started to buy our own records, I remember her looking and going, what is this? This is a true story. Remember that song, um, the cover of uh, The Flying Lizard's Money? The best things in life are free. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, when that instrumental part, my dad picked up the speaker and he was like, what's wrong with this music? And he's like <laughs> shaking it. They're like, that's the way it's supposed to sound. He's like, what? And he's like, oh, and he's like, oh that? And I'm like, yes. He couldn't understand that, you know, and I think, again, when things culturally do a shift and someone doesn't understand it, it's funny to go, what, what huh? Um, and then, you know, when my mom got me some bondage trousers, she didn't know the S&M connotation with them. Yeah. But she did catch me with a Tom of Finland uh, picture. And it was one of the first pictures that made me have a reaction like, oh my God. I, I, like, it, it, it stirred me because unlike the art that I had seen with my mom, um, you know, she couldn't, take us to Venice, but she kind of chose us to see th films. Like yeah. every Sunday when she was separated from my dad, every Sunday a ritual was she would take me and my brother to the movies without question. And we spent four hours at the cinema, double feature. And <laughs> I had to been about 10 or she took me to go see Cruising with Al Pacino about the leather bed. And I was like, <laughs> She wouldn't. She wouldn't let me see The Exorcist, but she took me to see Al Pacino about this murdering psychopath killing leather gays in in Manhattan. You know. Yeah. You know, she didn't want me to see Dawn of the Dead, but I could see guys getting fisted in the leather bar. <laughs> and the weird thing was, my parents, because I think they grew up in the sexual revolution. My dad's records were another visual to me, to art, yeah. because he had the Janis Joplin Big Brothers um, Cheap Thrills album done by Robert Crumb, and I got to meet Robert Crumb, and I remember as a kid, I would hold the album cover and just stare at it for hours, and he didn't like that I was indenting the sleeve with my feet, because I was just there, yeah. or um, uh, Elton John's... Uh, Captain Fantastic and the Joe because those album covers were just amazing because to yeah. me they were cartoons and they were they were very visual you know no one makes album covers like that anymore yeah. but that that was my window to art and I was like don't fuck up my my albums yeah. you know the Santana uh, Abrazas album that was a, a staple for any Chicano and I was like the naked woman with the, the oh, I was just like oh man I used to look at those and go, those should be hung in the Louvre. Yeah. But my yeah. parents were like, don't fucking touch our yeah. records. <laughs> yeah. And What did your parents do for work? Huh? What did your parents do for work? My dad was a, a, a laborer. He then started doing, he was um, 
a receiving and shipping foreman for um, a company that's now was now considered Fujitsu. Okay. Uh, and my mom used to do some, like manual labor as well. And her happiest job, she ever said, she was a sales assistant at a bridal boutique selling uh, discount wedding dresses. She loved that job. <laughs> she said that was the ha- you know because she just sold you know discount wedding dresses. Yeah. Um, they never really had like executive jobs. And then when I started to be self-employed, I remember my dad said, I don't know how you do it. I could never do what you do. Yeah. For, you know, it's like, it's a lot of work. And it is a lot of work. But I thought, okay, you know, you. they didn't encourage me in that end. I, I had to figure that out on my own. But I remember... So were you always super artistic? Huh? Were you always artistic? I was. And I remember... My mom and dad would, if they couldn't afford art supplies, they would pinch office supplies from their cabinets at work and bring them home. And yeah. I remember they brought these bowls of, like, rolls of paper, and it was just like, I would have that for, like, six, and I would just doodle, just draw on anything. And if I didn't doodle on the walls, I'd draw on the paper. If I didn't have a notepad, I'd draw on the notepad. Or, or, and then if that was it, I'd draw my brother. Um, and I remember she she once bought us those Easter egg baskets with all the um, the candies and stuff and in there was like watercolors and marker pens I never liked that she would dress us in kind of matching outfits I'd have like a green color one my brother have a red yeah or we have similar like the studded denim things and um, and I always wanted my own identity where she I think to my mom, she's like, oh, look, at the, the two kids are dressed alike. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and once, I remember with, with those Easter egg baskets, my pen ran out, and my brother wouldn't let me use his. So we were grabbing one of the markers and just swiping across it, but it's just like, and we were like, just dabbing each other these mar- and we ruined our outfits. Like, we only had them on for a couple of hours. And she's like, what the fuck? And, you know, um, there was a sibling rivalry, and I think she really tried to make us feel loved. But I think my brother, I, in my own sense, I think they favored him more because he was a younger one. And to my brother, to, even to this day, because I had slightly more talent, he felt less than. Yeah. And more resentful. Because um, I, I do know for a fact that they sometimes rubbed that in his face. Which was unforgivable. Yeah. Um, Is he arty as well? He was, but he never really. He he never really cultivated it, as well as my brother had problems with going to school. And he was kicked out. Of, he was kicked out of high school. Oh really? And then he went out. He 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 was doing um, continuation school where they go from like, nine to like. 11.30, they were, they were out by, like, lunchtime. Yeah. And um, he even fell that. He just... He just, just wasn't interested. And, and, but they, but they, they coddled my brother more. Yeah. And I came out at 17. I knew my brother was gay before I did. But then when my mom found out, she was livid with me that I didn't tell her. And, and 
And by then I was already snotty and I was just like, are you fucking serious? He's like, don't talk to me that way. I'm your mother. I'm like, you actually think that he's going to come to you with open arms after how you treated me? Because they put me through conversion therapy. <gasps> really? Yeah. How old were you when you came out? 17. I was 17. So what was that like? Oh my it was, God. It was, it was really hard. What, was it a religious thing? And, uh, yeah. They, they, they sent me to a Catholic... Yeah, they put, sent me to a Catholic one and then sent me to a Christian. My mom sent me to a Christian one. My dad had no, like, when I got arrested at 13 for shoplifting, we had to go to court-appointed therapy. My dad wouldn't go. My mom went with us. Yeah. And it was really hard because it, it, she was virtually raising us. My dad, my dad was kind of an ass in a okay. sense. Um, and, you know, the, the lines with it, like, I think because my my dad came from a broken home. Yeah. He went through juvenile hall and all that. And here my, my parents argue. They really used to go at each other about their, their upbringings. Yeah. Um, Where did they grow up? Grew up in Orange County. Well, uh-huh. my, my parents, my mom grew up in Arizona. And then they moved. All her sisters were born in different states. Yeah. But they were in North Dakota. Okay. When a tornado uh, tore down, their, they were sharecroppers with a neighboring family, and they both lost their homes. Oh, wow. So the neighboring family went to Texas, and my mom and all her sisters went to California. Okay. And then my aunt, by the time they went to California, the youngest, my aunt Jane, was born yeah. in, in California. And my mom was born in Arizona, um, but uh, they, they moved all over. Yeah. Um, my dad was born in Fresno, and when my mom met my dad, I think she was 12 or 13. Oh, wow. And, um, but they always looked at my dad as less than. Yeah. Um, and I'm amazed she, like, stuck it out with him for so long. Uh, and with... With her, I have to say she was very resilient in a lot of yeah. ways, because she she had like a fourth grade reading capacity. She was very difficult for her to read. Oh wow! Um, so when we had applications, she'd hand me it to like yeah. what's to say, and then explain to her. And I remember once getting really frustrated because like I would try to teach her, and she's like, well, you know, I, "I need help." And yeah, I didn't understand. The fact that for her it was very difficult, but I can see now looking back how teachers then, even even with me when I was going through what they thought I was colorblind, that, you know, people in those authority figures, they would just write you off. Yeah. You know, now, you know, they, some classes are smaller or they, you know, they approach teaching for children in a more um, nurturing way yeah. to encourage those who, who think mechanically and methodically to those that um, have to go through apodextrosy to touch sight, to, you know, to like, yeah. figure out the senses of how to do, work something out. And I believe that's, the, you know, those are two camps mm. that work that are beneficial yeah. Yeah. in both ways. But back then it was like, oh no, this, yeah. this, this is a bad egg, that is good egg. Yes. Yeah. And I was always really... I never liked the fact that when I was 
around 12. I didn't feel that I was special, but I knew I had a, a gift or something. I felt different, not because of my sexuality, but I, I started to see things differently than other kids. Yeah. Um, and then when I drew things, kids would like, oh my God. And then I knew I could make friends. I could get things that it was a commodity that I could use to my benefit. And a teacher told me this. And I was like, and he really, and then when, my, when I showed my mom, she was like, wow, okay. Um, you know, the, I did the acting and, and singing things because I, I could just, those things came natural to me. Yeah. Whereas math didn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, I liked science. I liked to know how things were made. Yeah. Um, and even in films, but I was... I was really a bad student in, in the technical aspect, the methodical, like, okay, yeah. read, write, subtract, and stuff. You know, if I, they said, okay, you used your mention, then I've, I flourished. Yeah. I could do that. Um, but when, yeah, around 13, 14, and I remember I wanted to see Tommy. Yeah. And she's like, no, that movie's about drugs. But that was what she said to me. But I remember her, my dad taking me to a driving movie to see Fritz a cat about a, a, a hypersex cat having sex with a bunch of prostitutes and cheating on his, you know, and her covering my eyes and he wanted to see this cartoon of like a tripping out cat Yeah. by Robert Crumb, who did the, um, Josh Chaplin thing. So you know, I was, that was what my parents were kind of into. Yeah. So I didn't know it at the time, but... I think subculturally, that's the era. And yeah. um, when when they started to see that I could go somewhere else, they did like it. But yeah. at the same time, I think it, they were fearful that once it got bigger than them, they couldn't control it. That that, that would virtually take me yeah. into a different trajectory away from them. Yeah. Which I think all parents fear that, you know, oh my God, they're going to leave. Yeah. And yeah. they're going to become their own person. Yeah. Whereas my brother, they kept him under yeah. their thumb. Yeah. But that, that affected my brother in a different way than I did. Because, unfortunately, I hate to think that he's bitter. Because some of his friends first got to become their, their own persons earlier in life than he did. Yeah. But they, they wanted him closer because I left at seven. When I was 17, I just left. And was that back. because of the conversion therapy though? Yeah. Yeah. What, so what happened? What did they, what did they do or try and do? How does conversion therapy? My mom, when I came out to my parents, I ran away from home and I, um, I came, I came, I came back cause I ran out of money and like, everything. Um, <laughs> I basically told him, I'm like, I'm gay. Yeah. And my mom's like, you're not gay. And she, she was really angry, really, really angry with me. And um, I remember it was it was like a, a Monday or Tuesday around dinner time. She's like, there's someone here to see you. I need to come downstairs. So I came downstairs and there was this guy and this woman sitting at, at our kitchen table. 
And the guy's like, hi, I'm some some I'm from this church. And I'm like, uh-huh. He's like, so you don't want to be gay anymore? And I'm like, excuse me, what? He's like, I used to be just like you. And I'm like, what? And, I, and he's like, oh, you and I was like, what is this? And my mom's like, I want you to sit and talk to him. And she's like, and she basically said, you're sick. And I was like, I, I was so, and again, my dad was nowhere to be seen because he wasn't there. Yeah. And he was talking with his wife that he used to be gay. And I'm, and, and I'm still thinking to myself to this day, yeah, fucking right. But um, <laughs> he, he was talking about, you know, the Lord this, the Lord that. That didn't work. So then she sent me to a, 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 a Christian priest. And I went every week on a Thursday and a Wednesday to see him. And it was a Huntington Beach. And we would talk. And and I hadn't had sex with a man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hadn't had sex with a man that, during that year. I wasn't having sex with men. Yeah. I'd had sex with men. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't active. Yeah. And I remember him saying stuff about how he, how he perceived gay men. Like gay men drop coins in your hand. They need to touch you. And that, even to this day, when someone, if, even if it's a woman, if she drops the change in my hand at, at a cash receipt, at a register, yeah. I think of this guy. Yeah. I, ne I never forgot that. And I was like, holy shit. Um, and then I saw him, I was 18, at a gay bar. And I was like, of course you did. Motherfucker. Yeah. Um, and did that, did I that make you feel bad? It, yeah, it made me feel bad because it made me feel that there was something wrong with me. But I yeah. knew in my heart that there wasn't anything wrong with me. Yeah. And I, and I also believe that my parents were, grew up to believe that being gay or different was bad. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. I don't have to accept it, and, you know, I understood it, but when, when my mom, I think my mom was fearful, and at the time, this was the mid-80s when it just, AIDS was coming up. Yeah. And um, she, I knew she had gay friends. I'd seen them. One of them yeah. did her hair. He lived across the street from us. And, um, you know, she was fine with them. But for some reason, she couldn't be fine with me. Yeah. And... Do you think it was... It came from a fear of you being hurt? Yeah. I, I think I think that. And and there's this really famous saying by Carl Jung that the biggest burden a child could let, uh, have is the unlived life of its parent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... And I do think that my parents have missed out on a lot of... Because I've always thought... They were really, especially my mom was, she could draw. She was, when she made us costumes, my favorite costume ever, I was 10. And she goes, what do you want to be for Halloween? My brother wanted to be like Luke Skywalker and I wanted to be Ace Freely of Kiss, the spaceman. <laughs> yeah. And God damn it, she made me the best fucking space. I, I had the padded cross thing, you know, oh, silver. Wow. The platform, ah, oh. oh, I love, I fucking, I didn't want to take that costume off 
for weeks. I was just like, and I went to school, full kiss makeup, oh, silver pants. Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. I, it got me the guitar. And I was like, I fucking roll. I was pissed. You know, um, I lost the, the but I, I didn't care. I had already yeah. won. I was ace freely. Yeah. Um, the year before, she dressed me as Charlton Heston from the Ten Commandments, and I looked like those miniature old men <laughs> with the fucking walking stick. And she took me to the thrift store, the charity shop, and I had these fucking ugly sandals with tire, actual tire treads. As the, oh, that was awful. But I looked like the real thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had the beard, everything. And um, people were like, wow, you look so... It, my, she was fucking good at... Yeah. She had an eye for detail. Um, that, and I, I was like, I don't understand why she doesn't do this for a job. Yeah. I could never... Because it came so natural to her. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the whole thing back to Carl Jung, that a lot of parents sacrifice things for their kids in the sense that they... They go without, but yeah. at the same time, I think they really want to put that pressure on their kids to excel. Yeah. But then when they they do understand that the kids can excel, there is going to be a disconnect. Yeah. At some point in in that that journey yeah. that they become fearful of. Yeah. And and I think that's where you get the you start to lock horns. Yeah. Um. And. When I started to go to art school and stuff. Um, so is that what you went to art school after? Yeah. Was that college? Uh, yeah, college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where did you go? They could see it. And I don't think they understood it. But then I started to, unlike the punk scene, I started to understand the business and um, different tastes in people. And what, like, okay, what do, what do I want to say? In the world, and how how do I make a footprint for myself? Yeah. Um, my parents can help me. Uh, what did you study in art? Did you have to pick? Did you draw? Uh, yeah, I, st I started as an illustration first. Okay. And, the, and this was before, you know, Photoshop. So now they teach illustration and, and Photoshop to to illustrators. To everything is done on a computer. Really? Back then, you had to learn by hand. Yeah. You know, cut and paste, and I. My cut and paste was awful. I was like, I, I, I cut and paste like I cook. I'm like the Swedish chef. <laughs> fucking things will get, I was like, glue on the walls, it doesn't fucking matter, you know. And um, <laughs> I'm still that way. I'm just like, you know, paint spotters, uh, yeah. Uh, but I think my, my Catholic and religious upbringing and my, my struggles with the church as well as their opinions of my identity sexually, of who I was, has reflected in my work. Um, yeah. When my mom started to tell me about sex, even after I was gay, I never forgot a discussion where she said, my, my dad was very crude about talking this about sex. He just virtually opened up the sex mag and pointed this yeah. like. Whereas my mom, she always spoke very visually, and she said, sex is like a candy bar. She's like, you can eat it by yourself, or you can share it with someone else. She's like, it comes in many flavors. Someone's going to hand you a candy bar, and you're going to like the taste. And she's like, and when you finish it, you're probably going to want another one. And... Um, 
She's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. She's yeah. Like, but if you eat too much candy, you can make yourself sick. Yeah. And she's like, it comes different wrappers, different colors. I like that. And, and, and she's like, but you, you know, you have to make sure, like, sometimes candy will be stale. I never forgot that. Yeah. But she, she, I think she wanted to be a progressive parent, but she struggled with her own shortcomings, as well as her own, I don't want to say inadequacies, but her own fears and phobias of, of that. Yeah. Of having a gay kid, especially two gay kids. Yeah. And that she was never going to become a grandparent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and I think... Yeah. Not that I didn't want to. Yeah. Cheater on that, but um, growing up, I saw my cousins have kids, and then I would hear my aunts talk, you know, about how unhappy their kids were. With I think two of my cousins are still married, and yeah. have like you know everyone else's. Yeah. One of my 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 cousins, she has three kids by three different men. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you know, yeah, okay, you know, this is you. You might never have had kids. Huh? You might never have had kids. You might I, have I, well, had no, kids. It's not that I never wanted kids, but I didn't feel that that was the end-all, be-all. I, yeah. for me, I, because I, th I thought my parents did never really travel, they never saw the world, I really wanted to do that. Because I always knew that there was something bigger than, you know, a hundred miles from our home. Yeah. And, um... Where did you go on holiday? Huh? When you, when you were... Did you go on holiday? We went... We, my parents wanted to go to Death Valley. <laughs> you know, we went to Disneyland and stuff yeah. like that. Because we were, like, um... You know, Knott's Berry Farm. Uh... Yeah. You know, they took us once to Hawaii. Uh, oh, wow. But that was to see my aunt. Because her, her husband was, um... A marine and it's the station why okay um but uh have they left america your parents huh have they left america no no oh, no yes they they came to see me when i was 34 okay in london so and all my dad wanted to do was i got the fucking uh the uh the embassy restaurant near uh, trafalgar square because they serve lone star beer you know the, the lone star beer on um, young Sheldon. Yeah. He was so happy that he found a, a place. And like he just, I'm like, you don't want to see the fucking, you know, Tower Bridge. Yeah. You know, Big Ben. He's like, no, I'm just happy. To sit. Like, really, you just want to sit in this fucking American themed restaurant in London and drink this shitty beer. <sighs> and that's that was my dad. Yeah. And my mom was like, well, he's happy. And I'm like, oh god. <laughs> you know. And, you know, I took him to see. Uh, the Tower of London. They got to see the Crown Jewels. Yeah. And stuff. Um, but, again, they, you know, I think it's... My parents always have really simple tastes in, yeah. in a lot of ways. And I'm envious of that sometimes. Simple life. Just to be really happy with not much. Yeah, well, yeah, I, th I think so. To and, um, and, and, and for me, I think this goes back to when I was about... 13, 14, when I realized what punk was and, you know, there was music coming from England and then 
I saw the face in ID magazine, and you know, I thought, my God, like London must be paved with fucking style. Yeah. And um, I was amazed. And little did I know that you know later on I'd get to meet some of these people face to face, and you know, uh, it 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 really had an impact on me to like this anglophile kind because of, all all the music that I loved back then were essentially coming from England. Yeah. And uh you know and you know you dressed a different way and you looked at but you kinda of said I I'm not gonna be part of the establishment and I really relish that that to to go and find a different tribe. Um and when my mom took the shopping, for her that also was, you know, financially suitable to her needs because we get old um workmen shop for, you know shirts from gas stations and like tear them up and stencil them and put sage pin so yeah. it, you know we could get t-shirts or shirts for like you know two dollars yeah but then it was very much diy now you know young punk kids they want to go to the mall and go to hot topic and anything further anti-establishment than going to a mall. But, you know, um, then I think that that was the, the art of craft. You kind of yeah. had a hand in your own identity. And this is before social media, but, you know, you went by what bands you liked and what, what you saw on record covers and, and music videos. And, um, and that was... That was really fun, and I liked that. And she she was really it encouraged that because she thought, okay, they're just they're they're, they're finding their creativity. Yeah. And that's lovely. I, she 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 gave me a camera, and I took it everywhere, and I just took photos. I went, I took photos at gigs. I took photos of my friends drinking, smoking, and um. The funny thing was, I once me my she caught me and my brother tripping on acid, and we were jumping on our beds. And we were like, and it had to be about three in the morning, and she poured open the door, and she's like, "Are you guys on cocaine?" And we were both laughing. She's like, "What's so funny?" And I'm like, "We're fourteen. We can't afford cocaine." <laughs> and she was just like, "What?" And I'm like, "No, we can't. We can't afford this." Yeah. And um. But she always thought we were on cocaine. And I still think of Little Whore House in Texas when Dom DeLuise opens. He's like, they're smoking yeah. cocaine! You know, and <laughs> my parents smoked pot. And we used to pinch pot from them. Yeah. Um, my mom wasn't like a heavy drinker or anything. Um, and as I got older, I think I dug my heels in only because... I used to hear how sad they were that they, I think they wanted to rebel, but they conformed to what my grandparents wanted for them. Yeah. And I thought, no, I'm going to do the opposite so I could not only make myself happy, but just, okay, if I fail at it, I'm going to fail. I'm going to find out on my own, but yeah. I'm really going to go at it. And I think that's what our our inner turmoil was for yeah. like creatively because when they, when I saw actual art, um, my mom would take us to movie land rocks museum, which was not far from Knott's Berry farm. 
And it was this place where you could see the waxworks, like Madame Tussauds. Yeah, yeah. And they had yeah. all the movie stars. And I loved that. But they had this one section where they had all the, the reproduction of the masterpieces, like Statue of David. And the very first painting I saw, that made me go, oh, ever. I had to have been about six. It was a Michelangelo lead in the Swan, where she's, um, what do you call it? Uh, straddling the, the, the swan. Yeah. And stroking its neck. Very yeah. phallic-like. And I remember I knew the way to, to get to that painting. Yeah. And we went maybe twice a year for the longest time. Yeah. And it wasn't the, the gift shop. It was seeing Statue of David looking, you know, up and just... And I, to, to this day, looking up at a man's physique, like, from that angle. Yeah. And just like... Ah, um, but the lead in the swan one, more than anything, that was the first painting I remember thinking, this is a dirty picture. Yeah. And I love it. I yeah. didn't think, I didn't think of it as sex. I knew it was a bad, nasty picture, but there was something that really moved me about that image. And I didn't know how it was made, but then when they gave me crayons and the, um, stereograph where you make the spirals. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could, like... Or an etch a sketch. I would just sit there. Yeah. But video games, no. Um, but then when music came about, I started to put a visual with the bands of the records to the sound. Yeah. And then 13, 14, I started to get into Andy Warhol, The Velvet Underground, and reading about Edie Sedgwick and The Factory. And it was in co coinciding with punk where I started to see this subculture and... Um, that started to jar my mom because I think that's where I started to learn about hallucinogenics yeah. and, you know, pot. And I had already started to smoke pot. Um, and I started like getting into the esoteric. It wasn't one thing to like, like cast with a friendly ghost or read about UFOs, but to really understand these things that my mom had no control over or my dad, but my dad really didn't have... I do, I do wonder if he had a more active hand in, in concern, how that would have shaped me. But he just didn't really care, yeah. in a sense. I know, and I'm not saying that to rub salt into his wounds, but it just, he didn't have that. My mom was really worried about those things. Yeah. And we, we saw a film called Suburbia, and there was a scene where, when we started going to gigs around 15... There's a scene where a girl is wearing this tutu and the skinhead walks up to her and he says, I'd really like to fuck your brains out. And she's like, oh, you would, would you? He's like, yeah, you wouldn't. It don't look like you have any. <laughs> and all the guys in the pit grab pieces and rip her clothes off while she's at the show. And she's standing there buck naked. And, you know, they're all doing the mosh pit. Yeah. And she's like, Scream. and my mom saw this and thought they really do that. Like. You yeah, know, beat yeah, on each yeah. other and rip each other's clothes off. And um, she's like, is that what happens with these things? And we're kind of like, kind of. Not to that extreme, but yeah. yeah. And she she took it as gospel. Um, at 17, I started to have sex with a guy. And then an S&M foreman. I remember I had a bite mark on my shoulder. And she's like, what happened to you? And I'm like, oh, I got it in the mosh pit. A friend just bought me 
joking. I'm not going to say, oh, I stole your car and rolled it down the street to have sex with some guy that lives in Tustin. And, you know, and I, ah, it was a fucking bad kid, but I was just like... Yes, that's wonderful Henry. So you've got a lot more to look forward to as well. He's, I love finding out about people's lives and people have such interesting lives, especially when they come from completely different places to you and have different experiences. I just, I love it. I live for it. But yeah, I hope you enjoy it. If there's anything you want to talk to me about, get in touch. Follow me on the socials, Mum and Mama Pod. Mum and Mama Pod. If you have any guest suggestions, then let me know. I'm always, I'm interested in talking to everyone. Everyone has a story. Work. I hope you're well. Stay safe, stay sane. Big love. And I look forward to seeing you next week for part two. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.